more effort doesn't necessarily make the bike go faster and then and then you're sort of losing time and then it's compounding so so at that point in your mind as a performer you've already you're already taking yourself out of the moment where your best performance happens in paying attention to your rhythm your rate your output to oh shit oh shit oh shit oh shit Willen is back and after 21 enthralling stages of racing in this year's Tour de France, we get to review the final week that was and take a look back at some of the stars that shone bright on the lap around France. The man that will be co-piloting the podcast again is none other than Scott Barrow. Welcome, Scotty. Good afternoon, Ross. Can't wait to get into this. It's been an incredible tour, as everyone knows, and uh, yeah, pretty pumped, really. Oh, mate, right to the end, it was just epic, wasn't it? It's probably, look, I haven't, I haven't seen every tour that's ever been ridden, but gee, as tours go, you couldn't ask for much more, could you? Yeah, it was unreal. It had everything. Um, as we discussed via text, um, great to watch. It would have been probably pretty filthy to race in terms of just how <laughs> challenging it was, and there was almost no, there's no easy stages, it didn't appear to me. No, even that one night, I can't remember exactly which stage it was. And they were just sort of cruising in a break. So the, the break was sort of in and around that 40-odd Ks. And, and we actually sent a text message to each other that this is probably a break we could be in, albeit till we get shelled until they start to average over 50 and then we just get absolutely spat out the back and yeah. she's all over. So you could probably have five-minute spurts of a tour, I reckon. It would probably be around the mark. Yeah. That's right, and get a really good little piece of TV time just as the white flag drops, you know, Tommy <laughs> Vocalist style. Hey, mate, we left off on stage 15, so we'll, we'll roll through a few of the stages again. So stage 16, where the winner was Leonard Kamner of Bora mm. Hansgrove. So this was the first stage win in this year's Tour for Bora Hansgrove. They spent a mountain of bickies at the service of Peter Sagan for the mm. duration um, and trying to bust open stages and the like. But this ride from Kamner from the break that he shared with initially 18 riders and eventually um, he outlasted Carapaz, who finished mm. second. It was a pretty impressive ride by Kamner. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And remember, he came off that stage win in, I think it was the last day of the Dauphiné. So he had form, we would have had confidence. And on that last climb before descending towards the finish line, Carapaz attacked, Philippe closed it, but blew himself up in the process. And then Cameron just steadily, you know, got back onto the wheel, didn't take too long. And then, yeah, just left Carapaz for dead. So, um, yes. yeah, yeah, well done by him. Yeah, absolutely. This was Ineos revealing a day after Bernal losing considerable time of their game plan for the rest of the, the tour, effectively, and Carapaz jumped in that break, and it sort of laid bare their plans of what their modus operandi was for the rest of the tour, effectively, and he was really effective, wasn't he, Carapaz? Ah, oh, mate, that stage, the next one, and the next one, and we 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 named him a natural born killer early on in this uh, show, you know, in this podcast series. I believe he is. I believe he's, you know, he didn't quite have the legs. He lost a bit of time early in the in the tour 
Um, and then he also had mechanicals that dropped him down on GC. But you know, as soon as, as soon as he was allowed to, he had a crack. Three days in the break, hard riding. The guy is someone to watch. He's certainly on our team, Ross. Absolutely, he's mate. He's uh, one of the first picked. You alluded to stage seventeen. It was the Queen stage, so two thousand three hundred and four meters elevation. It is, or oh, it's the third highest finish point in tour history, mm. which which finished on Col de la Lose, um, which was a new road that they built on a ski village. Absolutely filthy climb, Scotty. As we mentioned, Carapaz again was in the break. And he was caught with 3K to go by Miguel Angel Lopez of mm. the team that you can't trust, Astana. You um, can't trust him. You cannot trust him for a second. Can't, can't trust him. And Sepp Kuss joined him for a moment before Lopez pulled clear on this climb. Roglic finished second, Pogacar third, uh, which yeah. clinched Pogacar the polka dot jersey. One yeah. question I've got for you, Scotty. Lopez's nickname, Superman, is that an impressive nickname? or that's, an, that's a nickname that you would be happy with, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely, and I, f- I feel like it's like it's a nickname that you can only have if you come from South America. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's where that that beautiful emotional expression can accept a, a grand nickname like that. <laughs> Is it a nickname you give yourself, or because if I was going to pick nicknames, Superman would be up there. <laughs> I can um, only assume you want a bike. It's got to come in pretty handy. Yeah, I know you better have some freaking serious horsepower. Um, I heard read recently that he gave it to himself, so you know oh, maybe he's one of those guys who's not getting in his own way. That's oh, that good. is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so on yeah that stage, it had those those savage ramps. You know, they're already at altitude; they've already been already been climbing long stage, and then those super steep ramps. And um, yeah, Lopez was obviously the strongest that day, and he seemed to be he had plenty left in the tank. But then there was that great bit. I don't know if you saw it, Ross, where uh, you know about a K or so from the end of the stage, the camera pulled back, and you could see Lopez. And then about two hundred meters back, there was Roglic, and then another say fifty meters back, there was um, Pogacar. Anyway, it was a it was an epic sort of a, a vista, you know. This yeah. where, did you see that scene? How and and right there and then you look at it and go, God, it's one hell of a mountain. Oh, it was an absolute beast, wasn't it? I did read the next day that someone said this is probably emerged now. This climb as one that cyclists around the world want to put on their bucket list oh, to do because. And by all reports, Scotty, it was the mixing gradient. Not only was there those yeah. steep pinches, but it, just the fact that it was so inconsistent and to go up and down, it just threw their momentum right out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Reportedly, they were going. They were going up. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you're, they were going up those ramps at like, the steep bits. They were only hitting nine k's an hour. So that's that's what I tend to average on a on a flat climb. Yep. But these guys are the best in the world, and they weigh twenty kilos, and that's how fast they were going. <laughs> so it's like. That's seriously steep and hard stage. That is a pretty significant stat, I think, the, the pace that they were going at. I did hear, I think it might have been Robbie McEwen that said it, that Richie Port was running a 53.39 on the front and 11.33 on the back. So effectively he's going up the Col de Lowe's. De La Lowe's mm. on a 30, 39.33. So not a lot of difference between front and back there. Nah. No, and he was, yeah, he obviously he tends to ride a bigger gear because he grinds it out of the saddle. He had a pretty good ride that day too, didn't he? Like, he, you know, he lost time on Roglic a little bit, but he still, you know, he held it together is what yeah. I'm trying to say. He kept it. He kept on it. Yeah, he did. He was pretty consistent with that. Mm. But an epic, epic stage, worthy of being the Queen stage, that one. Stage 18 mm. was an absolute corker, Scotty. This was, we dubbed it the Ineos Grenadiers stage. The winner was mm. Michal Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski and Carapaz, the 
the killer. Uh, we're in the initial 32-man break. They rode the last 27 kilometres to get out in front with uh, Kwiatkowski, the winner. Carapaz was in his third break in as many days and he claimed the polka dot jersey. Yeah. Um, and this yeah. was also the section, uh, the stage, Scotty, where on the gravel section, um, which was just at the top of the previous climb mm. leading into the finish, where Richie Port punctured and got back on with, with help from Dumoulin and Van Aert, mind you, um, who, yeah. who, if we can just continue the love fest with Van Aert, finished third on this stage, if you don't mind. <laughs> That's right. He won the bunch sprint after <laughs> been pulling all day because that's just what he does. So, yeah, it was a great stage. Um, Richie did well to not to crash when he when he punched it because it, was it wasn't savage gravel, but it wasn't finely packed gravel either. So it had a bit of gnarliness in it for a road bike. But, um, yeah, when those uh, Krukowski and uh, Carapaz crossed the line, that was bloody brilliant, wasn't it? Like, what were you thinking then? How, how were you feeling seeing that happen? Well, I'm thinking, okay, an individual sport in some sense, but the team culture that abounds in this team is really strong. And I, I thought it was a really touching moment. Two guys from opposite ends of the world come together, work their ass off for their team and just slug it out and um, rescue the tour for the for the team effectively after a rough couple of days. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was brilliant. I mean, to be able to ride in gent- relatively gently in those last 10Ks or whatever and knowing that they've got the race won, they can just enjoy the enjoy it all and enjoy each other, cross the line together. I did, it was brilliant. That would have um, connected with so many people around the around the world, I reckon, that seeing that happen. And it wasn't corny. It wasn't smolts, smoltzy. And, and certainly the last time we sort of saw that type of scene was uh, in the tour with the Badger, uh, Bernard Hino and Greg LeMond, you know. Yeah. Arm in arm, and you know, Lamont's uh, crosses a line, understanding that Bernard Hino's you know yielding to his teammate and going to let him win. And then, uh, then they did the famous press conference where yeah. uh, <laughs> where Hino says, "Well, um, you know, Bernard, um, now you know you're a bit of you've got a, lost a bit of time now. So I guess it's Lamont's uh, tour." And he goes, "Well, we'll have to see tomorrow in the in the time trial." <laughs> you, saw, the look, you saw the Greg, look of amazement on Greg Lamont's face, Greg. Greg Lamont's face went wider than fucking a whiteboard, mate. It was unbelievable. So that's that's um everyone can see that, you know, slaying the badger, you know, is where that footage exists in current days. That was brilliant though. Anyway, so this was this had none of that, but yeah, I just yeah, it's just oh, I don't know, I just felt really strongly about that whole situation of that happening and how good it was for them to be able to do that and also get released off the chain because you know when they were running for Banal. By the way, you know, Kwiatkowski, he's bloody been, he's an ex-world champion, he's won classics, he's a he's won Milan San Remo. He can flat out ride, yet he does he fully commits to the team on these grand tours and he's fucking good for those guys. So absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, you look at his record as a super domestique, you know, in Grand Tours in the last few years, particularly at the Tour de France. It's flawless. And mm. the amount of work that this guy does, that was his first win since 2018, I think, mm. that stage. And super, super well-deserved, like absolutely brilliant. And mm. just the grace, I love from Carapaz the grace and the, the actual excitement that he got out of yeah. Kwiatkowski being able to cross the line first and being the stage winner. And that yeah. was genuine. Like, that wasn't manufactured whatsoever. Yeah. That was absolutely brilliant yeah and that that is a i agree and that's exactly why i think carapaz can really do some amazing things based on his ability in the sport because he's you know we know he's a, a stone cold killer that's what we reckon he is he's not afraid and and then he's got that ability to just completely surrender to the success of someone else crossing the line first and be happy with that you know i think he's um he's impressive i reckon uh 
hopefully it, it shows out in results as well over time. Um, stage 19, mate, the winner again for his second stage win was Soren Craig Anderson from Sunweb. Sunweb uh, collect another stage win. He escaped from a 12-man leading group with 16K to go. Mm. Sunweb, do it again. They had a great tour. Oh, absolutely they did. Unbelievable. Yeah. Them and um, I reckon Bora Hansgrohe, apart from Sagan being off the pace, Sunweb and Bora Hansgrohe, they, they were good teams, you know. Hansgrohe were great because they're riding for, for Sagan and then they also did some other things like Cameron got the stage win and they, they were sort of ever-present and Sunweb were, were the same, weren't they? They were having a good go. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. They rode the way we like to watch races be ridden. And that stage 19 where Anderson won, um, if you remember, Trentin had put in a big dig at about, I don't know, 16 k's to go through the yep. Bill Hilly section. Yep, he was the they first all, one to go, yeah. It, had a, it was a major league break. It had all the big names in it, you know, Sagan, Van Avermaet, plus heaps of others. And um, they all covered him, but no one could count it. And he counted, and then no one else wanted to ride. And Van Avermaet, he was with uh, Trenton, so he probably had to cover that move, but he was cooked and too far back in the group. And then there was another team, I can't remember who it was, might have even been um, Quickstep. They had yeah. two blokes in that group. But again, I just think they were too cooked. So fortune favours the brave. And that little end of that stage was a classic, it was a classic, classic stage, actually. You know, where everyone's so cactus. There's usually only individuals from each team. And someone, if they have that courage and the ability to hook off the front, and then, you know, the others just look at each other and go, who's going to pull it back? Because they don't want to, they don't want to pull it back because everyone's exhausted and they need to try and save something for the finish line. So it was a classic, classics uh, set up, that whole thing. Yeah. It was exciting. A lot of their good performances in those stages were those typical classics type stages, weren't they? So they, they come out of it very happy, I reckon, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Scotty, stage 20 was a time trial, and this is a stage we won't forget in a hurry. <laughs> so can I just sort of uh, just set the scene a little bit? Tade Pogacar yeah. started 57 seconds behind Roglic and ended up 59 seconds in front, took the stage win and secured the yellow jersey. The two big talking points for me, mm. one of the talking points that I'm most interested in is Pogacar taking a leaf out of your book and your advice dumping the power meter and the computer for the climb section of the time trial. And yeah. heaven forbid, Scotty, he rode by feel. Mm, yeah. And um, I did send him that episode, so hopefully <laughs> oh. it helped him. Yeah. <laughs> so now it starts to become clear. Yeah, yeah. No, um, it's great, isn't it? I mean, the whole – look, you contextualise this whole idea about Pogacar because he won the whole tour. But if you watch him, his career, like, that's sort of how he races. He races on um, – he races without much fear. He has a real crack. He's not afraid to go off the front. He was doing it in this tour, wasn't he? Yeah. In the early weeks, he was still going off the front and trying stuff. And, yes, he had the least to lose. But, um, yeah, so to go back to that thing, yeah, obviously he, he – um, he had confidence. Uh, he trusted himself in terms of in terms of doing a time trial with half of it without the um, power meter. He, you know, he had confidence in himself. He had trust, and also I guess over time he's developed really good feel for what a pacing strategy is. But maybe he just felt so confident that he, he just said, "Right, I'm just going to get to the bottom of the climb and just going to I'm going to go full gas to the top." And it's simple. Yeah. Maybe he didn't even wasn't even concerned with pacing at all. Um, I think it did need to be a little bit because you could ride that whole climb 
hard and then the last bit where it ramps up to about 20% that could really kick you in the bum so I think it did but yeah amazing that was great and uh, noticed by a lot of people too the fact that he didn't have the digital device on the road uh, on the climbing bike the road bike yeah by all reports he had reconned that climb quite a few times in the lead up and was confident enough and insisted upon the fact that he just needed to ride it the way he knew it which is um, you know it's encouraging and, and it's refreshing that a young guy can do that the other big talking point out of this stage was Primoz Roglic had a stinker of a day on the day that he didn't really want to have a stinker. It was, again, like Aru, Pino and Bernal, the fall from grace in this forum and on this stage becomes so public. But, Mm. Scotty, there's perversely something attractive in it for the cycling fan because we can relate to it. You know, the stars, (laughs) the best, they have shit days too. They feel Mm. fucking terrible on climbs like we do. They Mm. wonder deep down, why the fuck am I doing this? But they come back for more, just like we come back for more. Um, I found it hard to watch, but... At the same time, I loved it. And, and, and that's the beauty of this event. It's the beauty of this sport that it can make the, the greatest seem mm. human. Yeah, sometimes you can do everything right and prepare perfectly and it still doesn't go your way and it's, and there's not much you can do. Um, I was just listening to Cadell Evans and he was talking about, you know, doing time trialling. He goes, you, you go off and, you know, if you're already – he goes, I liken it to driving a car. You can be driving your car at full speed and then, you know, the first time check at 10Ks and you get in through the earpiece, you're five seconds down, go harder. And it's like, well, well I sort of – can't really go harder all right i'll put more effort into it but that doesn't automatically at that level at that intensity more effort doesn't necessarily make the bike go faster and then you're sort of losing time and then it's compounding so so at that point in your mind as a performer you've already you're already taking yourself out of the moment where your best performance happens in paying attention to your rhythm your rate your output to oh shit oh shit oh shit oh shit I'm playing catch up and then your then your attention's divided and then you're playing catch up on that and all of a sudden you're present with what you're doing and you know we need your potential like with with him it was, oh God, it was weird wasn't it because yes he had a bad day and I think also Pogaccia had an unbelievable day obviously because if you look at from second to sixth, it was all within all uh, second place to sixth place on the stage. It was all within forty seconds, and then you had Pogaccio at one minute twenty ahead. Yeah. So I, I reckon if Roglic doesn't have a bad day, yeah, it's close. It's close, and maybe Pogaccio gets him anyway. Still, but maybe not that bad, you know, for for Roglic. Yeah. And then did you see? At the end, when uh, Pogaccia was getting interviewed after the stage, and then Roglic comes in and congratulates him. Yep. And that was fantastic, of course. You know, gave him a hug and, you know, all that. And then, but the thing that I saw was Roglic's face after he gave him the hug and then they sort of went their separate ways. Roglic just breathed out and goes, oh, fuck, I'm fucked. You know, like... (laughs) He was more, his attention was more on how how shattered he was than the fact that, you know, he'd lost the tour, you know, and that's yeah. that tells you everything, you know, either just couldn't quite get it together or he was, you know, and the helmet was on a jaunty angle, half oh. off his head. He looked, he looked hot as hell on the, and, the, you know, these guys, they're wearing the fucking time trial suits with the long sleeves. It was so fucking hot. So... Yeah, mate, it's um, it's a real sport, that's for sure. Uh, it was, it was just brilliant, and we we had a message exchange uh, the next day, and it was, it was like you feel so sorry for Roglic just because yeah. there was that disintegration and the loss of the tour. But it was sort of tempered somewhat 
by the fact that, you know, we've got this new kid on the block, this Pogacar, who's, <laughs> who's just a free spirit and just has a crack. And um, it was fucking fantastic. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, Scotty, they rode into Paris uh, for Stage 21 and the man with the green jersey on put some icing on a very impressive Tour de France cake with a win on the Champs-Élysées. The last man to win in Paris in green was Mark Cavendish in 2011. Mads Peterson, who was a super domestique for three weeks, for Richie Port finished second and Sagan third, which is probably symbolic of his tour, Sagan. He was there, but not quite close enough, you know, to, to really get that result. Mm. And Bennett really just proved uh, what a star he is and was uh, emphatic in his win in the green jersey. Yeah, so he couldn't have had a much better tour, could he? Like he won, did he win two stages or three? He won two stages. I think I think he won two and then finished second and maybe in two. Maybe he finished second to Caleb each time. Yep. I can't remember. And he's won the green jersey and he's won the, the key sprint in the Champs-Élysées. So, yeah, he, he couldn't have had a better tour. He yep. couldn't have had a better tour at all. Mate, who were your five stars of the tour? We thought we'd come up with this little bit of a concept just to go through. And, and look, we're going to take it in turns and give up our stars of the tour. And they could be individuals, they could be teams, there could be a crossover. But we think that'll reinforce just the star power of those particular people or teams were if they do get nominated mm. a couple of times. So can you kick us off, mate, with your, your first star of the tour for 2020? Yeah, so um, the first star I have is the route and uh, the route design and the scenery that was encompassed by the parkours and the, and the race design. It was a, an incredible race to watch. And as, as we said earlier, it would have been filthy and incredibly hard to race, no doubt. The stage 17, you know, as we've said, up onto the beast climb Cote de la Lol, you know, those steep ramps at altitude, incredible. And then the t- finishing with the tile, you know, with that, I just reckon it was brilliant. So, you know, hats off to the race design and at, watching it on the TV, the, <laughs> the scenery that we got to see. I mean, it's there every year, but there was a couple of moments this year when I was watching and going, this is bloody incredible. It's a couple of those gorges that are uh, riding up, you know, where you had the sort of white limestone sort of cliffs and the and the green vegetation on a massive scale with the Alps in the background. It's just like, oh, stop it, France. Just stop it. So the, the course and the scenery, number, the one, number one star for me, and that's what it makes it all happen. Hard to argue with that one. Just to further your point on some of that scenery, there was, I can't remember what stage, it was pretty late in the race, there was a waterfall, just like it had been painted onto the screen. <laughs> and I thought, you have got to be taking the piss. That can't be real, surely. No, no. It was just unbelievable. There's going to be no surprises with my first star for the tour. It's a bloke by the name of Wout Van Aert. I've mentioned him every episode, so I'm going to continue on with the loving. <laughs> Two stage wins two thirds yeah. and a fourth on a time trial stage if you don't mind um, yeah. his stage wins were in bunch gallops he was the super domestique for Jumbo Visma now if Roglic Absolutely. needed anything if he needed to have a piss if he needed a bottle uh, Van Art would be the man to help him yeah. he didn't only chip in on the on the climbs he absolutely torched the road up when the pace would increase and the riders just got shelled and he was the man he was the man that was responsible for it largely absolutely sensational effort yeah yeah i've got him in my in my list as well you know like you say winning sprint stages incredible climbing fourth on the tt 
Um, there was one stage where Chris Horner, the ex-Vuelta champion, tweeted, when Bernal got dropped, Egan Bernal, uh, he said, Bernal's out the back and Jumbo Visma haven't even used their sprinter yet. Like, <laughs> incredible. So um, that was a great line. And uh, I don't know... I. He's on the start list for the world champs. And normally you'd think it's not, you know, it's too much climbing for a guy like that. Yeah. But and we'll discuss it later. But maybe the nature of the climbing, the way it is, it could be actually, it could be him. He's in ripping form. It just, uh, I guess it'd be a matter on how, how well these guys recover because only, it's only a week after the last yeah. day of the tour. So, yep, I'm with you there. The bottom line is, mate, he's the best ride in the world. Yep. So let's, ah. let's just, that's it. Done. Absolutely. Yeah, he's the, best, said. he's the best road cyclist in the world, in the, in the men's field. Yeah, for sure. Who's another star have you got, mate? Well, the obvious, mate, Pogaccia. What I love about it is three jerseys, first since Eddie Merckx in 69, so that's fucking fair company. Three jerseys, the polka dot, the young rider and the yellow, three stage wins, wins by two minutes in the time trial, and uh, and he's 20, 21 years old. It's like, fucking hell. Um, and I look for his name in the world champs, but God, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me in the least if he, he got that. It might not be actually hard enough for him, the uh, the parkours of the world champ. It might give other people a, a more of a look in, but you never know. Yeah, he was he featured in my stars too, Scotty. You're right. Not much else needs to be said, really. I mean, just the way he races, though, Ross. As we know, you know, yeah, he's, yeah there's not much fear there. There's um, he has a crack. He didn't have, I mean, he had Dela Cruz who would help him, uh, but not for the duration of stages on climbs. He didn't, he just followed wheels of Jumbo mm. Visma effectively. He rode a really smart race and it was super, super effective. Mm. Hey, you know when he lost time in the crosswind stage? Yep. Did he, I know he got caught in the split, but I, he had a mechanical, didn't he? Isn't that the reason why he lost time on that stage? Or did he get just get purely caught behind? No, I think you're right. He might have had the mechanical. Richie was the one who just simply got caught out. He got caught behind. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure, I think Richie and Carapaz might have been the ones that got caught out and Pogacar had a mechanical. Yeah. So I think he lost a minute on that day. And apparently, um, you know, he just said to the director, don't worry, we'll, we'll get it back. And the next day he pulls back 40 seconds. So there it is, mate. Like, no big deal. We'll get it back. Next day, pulls back 40 seconds, like, boom. The innocence of you, Scotty. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, theoretically, it's easier to be like that when you're younger because you sort of, you haven't had as much scarring and as much disappointment, perhaps. But, yeah, um, yeah good on him. He's Mate, I've slotted Bora Hansgrower into my stars of the tour. We touched on them before. So Sagan was their man for green and he did have it momentarily for a couple of days. And I reckon they could sense that he probably wasn't where he really needed to be in terms of being able to follow that through all the way to Paris. And, but to their credit, they continually tried to take charge of the race when they were still chasing that green, even though it seemed pretty insurmountable. And, and they tried to dictate terms. And a stage win to Kamna was their only top result, but I love that despite the odds not being in their favour, they had a crack. And who can forget, as we just spoke about there, stage seven in the crosswinds, they absolutely flogged that from the word go. That, that was mm. absolutely epic. And it was all on them. It was absolutely all on them. Mm. And also, um, 
what's their other climber's name in Hansgrove? What's um, uh, Shackman. Shackman? Shackman, yeah, he he almost got that stage too. So yeah, like you say, they were not only riding for Sagan, but they're also looking for opportunities as well. Um, so yeah, I think it was a really good team performance by them for sure. Yeah, yeah I loved it that you know they were against the odds and it probably wasn't going to work, but they thought, fuck it, we're going to have a crack here anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, that were one of my stars. Yeah, that leads me into my next star, which we've already discussed, which is Team Sunweb. Because as we uh, chatted about it on on this podcast a few episodes ago, it's like they didn't have a GC guy. They didn't seem to have any recognised stage winners. uh, And they also dropped uh, Michael Matthews. Uh, who's a recognised, you know, high-level rider and and won stages in all Grand Tours. It's like, how? what were they going to do? And boom, they showed us they were going to get active and be in um, – strategically, they were brilliant across the whole tour. They set themselves up really well. They used their numbers really well and they seemed, you know, really – energetic and active and proactive so I thought they were great and um yeah see you later bling like who's that guy see you, <laughs> don't we'll see you, you mate. Don't that's right so how, how does this look to you mate so yeah and you know obviously they had, they had hershey won a stage and then he, he came close on a couple of others and they had anderson who won two stages so yeah in the same vein as uh hans or hands grow they were they were brilliant i thought yeah agreed wholeheartedly scotty they were one of my stars they were just proactive three stage wins two seconds three thirds proactive in breaks mm. uh they were young and energetic they were really visible and clearly as you as you touched on they responded to the criticism from this podcast uh, by having a super mm. tour right. and just to to finish off the discussion on them how fucking good do they look their riders on the bike yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, we've already discussed where that inspiration's come from too. Yeah. Uh, they, absolutely. They, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just coincidental. Maybe it's the type of riders that they've chosen to stock their team with. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe those the breakaway guys need to be efficient. Or maybe they've got a whole bunch of blokes from the track because Hershey's from the track and you have to be efficient uh, in your positioning on the track because you can't rely on other factors. Yeah, correct. So, yeah. Mm. We did have a bit of a crossover there, Scotty. My last star of the tour is Sam Bennett. Mm. Two stage wins. We we spoke about him before. Most certainly the most effective fast man in the race. I don't know on pure horsepower, Caleb's probably the fastest, but Sam Bennett proved the fastest. And it was interesting, despite having a bloke like Alaphilippe on his team, who effectively, let's be honest, he does his own thing. He does what he wants to do in his own um, country's tour. <laughs> the team and the lead out riders that Bennett had were first class. Merku. They withstood mm. Bora's assault, which was coming thick and fast. And Bennett would just finish off the work really well. So the, the green jersey was a just reward yeah. for him, I think. Yeah, yeah. and quick step. They are so good at um, their positioning and tactics you know in, in in terms of setting up sprints that's what they do you know it's just like the spring classics it's the same thing they're so good at how they use their team across the stage positioning at speeds where it's not about climbing it's about that sort of fast riding and positioning they're they're really good at it so yeah he did well for sure and then on top of that, you know, I uh, loved it when Bennett, um, you know, when he won that first tour and you know, he got really emotional and, uh, you know, he started crying while he was in the interview. That was fantastic to see how, how much he cared about it. Yeah, it meant a fair bit, didn't it? Yeah, it was great. And that, that now links into my last tour, which, again, we've already discussed, which was, you know, Carapaz and uh, Kwiatkowski crossing the line together. I just thought it was fantastic for so many reasons. And uh, I really, really was really happy for those two to be able to do that for themselves, um, each other, the team, 
for cycling, everything. And um, knowing that they had the, the victory sewn up and to be able to relax in the last 10Ks and just enjoy it. And there was a bit where they were descending and um, Carapaz was following Kukowski down the descent. I thought, oh, that must be the best feeling because descending is <laughs> unreal. But just descending, knowing you're dropping down into a victory and the decision is, you know, who goes first would have been brilliant. So that was the other bit which we discussed as well. Yeah, so we, we did touch on Sunweb when we spoke about Bora, but for, for your team moment of the tour, there's yeah, I'd have to agree that. Ineos moment with Kwiatkowski and Carapaz mm. thrown in the fact that they lost their leader and the guy they were riding for. And I now I think about it, I've looked at the, the team Ineos website a few, just a couple of times, just to sort of see how they present themselves. And um, Specialized do this really well, don't they? They use key images on their websites. And you'd reckon, you'd have to think that that image would be smack bang on the homepage, wouldn't it? Oh. Uh, of Carapaz and Kukowski crossing the line. Like that just communicates everything that people, they want people to grab hold of, identify with. Scotty, guess what we've got this week in episode five? Uh, I don't know. We've got a listener question, mate. We have got our first <laughs> listener question for Fantastic. the Half Wheeling podcast, and it comes from Tom. And Tom has asked, what do we make of Jumbo Visma and the way they went about it in the Tour de France this year? Uh, what do you reckon? Well, I, I think at the end of the day, they rode superbly for every stage as a team, let's be honest. They dictated terms. Um, they controlled Peloton. Um, they would control the brakes, everything that went into each stage. Their leader had an absolute Joe Cocker in stage 20. There's a school of thought that perhaps they could have taken charge on a stage and maybe increased some time. But mm. like hindsight's a bloody magnificent yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. look, Pogacar was outstanding. Who's to say that he wouldn't have been able to answer that challenge if it was laid down to him anyway? Um, he was in that. Yeah, that's gig. right. Well, he had a minute. He had a minute and he's a good time trial. So it's like you'd put your money on if you could take that uh, final stage, you'd take it, wouldn't you? As yeah. a team, you go, yeah, we'll take those odds. Yeah, it's just the weight of numbers tell you that a rider's going to have a bad day. And as we mentioned before, Roglic just had a bad day on the worst day to have it. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, they they had their strategy. They executed it perfectly and dominantly. So, you know, that's the other thing I saw in the telecast where a lot of people would have seen it. You know, Roglic sitting on the ground and then there's Van Aert and Dumoulin who have already changed. And they're like just looking at Roglic and they were, I think they're all three of them were in shock. It's like, how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> you know, we, we own this. It yeah. just like, and it wasn't, I, I sort of felt like, you know, Van Aert and Dumoulin, they wouldn't have been filthy at Roglic at all or disappointed in him. They were just like, shit, how did it happen? Like, yeah. that is just bizarre. Just in so, shock. Yeah. They, they seem to have their strategy. They executed it dominantly and perfectly. Oh, God. So the question then is, uh, what does it mean for next year? Because, you know, do they go with that same approach, Ross, or what do you reckon? Yeah, perhaps. I, I mean, if, if you dig into it a little bit more, I think they probably will. Maybe they'll tinker with it a little bit. And I think the couple of things that surround that are Dumoulin, who no doubt yes. came in just a little bit underdone and seemed to get better as the tour went on. If he was a little bit closer on GC, that may have been yeah, another that card that they could have played. Yeah. So you get Roglic in form again. You get Dumoulin in better form. I don't think Van Aert's going to get any worse. George Bennett was probably suffering from a crash early and I think he would have been a really good lieutenant in the mountains. He was quite often the one peeling off and then Van Aert would take over from him. So he was picked as a climbing domestique. So there's a couple of things that didn't go their way from a team perspective. So I think by and large they'll go with the same sort of strategy. Do you, do you think they'll stick with it? 
Yeah, something like that. They might be a little bit more at the ready to be a bit more agile, you know. So you got your central strategy, but not shutting down your vision to other little opportunities that might pop up on the way. But uh, and also Criswhite, you know, he, he uh, he'll be, he, theoretically he'll be back too. So yeah. I, th- I think because Van Art was so dominant, so sorry, so uh, strong on the climbs, I don't reckon they used their team. It didn't look like they needed to use their team that evenly in terms of loads. I mean, I know they sent guys back for a da- stage or whatever, and they could just sit back and cruise. But um, yeah, I felt like some of those guys would probably could have done a little bit more. But Van Art was so strong, so it's like just yeah, let him do it. One of the observations I made was that certain uh, major gun riders haven't been in form this year so far. So you've got Valverde. I know he's 40, but still a little bit off his game, it seems. Sagan was definitely off his game. Thomas was off his game in the in the, in the the Dauphiné to the point where he didn't get picked for the Tour. Greg Van Avermaet was almost, almost invisible in the Tour. So these guys... Um, seem to have suffered more from the lockdown interruption to racing. They seem to have um, not been able to produce as quickly and they'll need more racing to come to get to get our oh, Cavendish was the other one to get their form up. And then you go, you say someone like Sagan, you go, okay, yeah, well, he's got three le- weeks in him. That's a huge training effect. If you like, you know, he'll reco- come out of that and recover and you'll, and you know, he might get a lot of his pizzazz back, but he starts the Giro in two weeks. So I don't I don't see how he gets through that Giro because the Giro has much more savage parkours typically than the Tour, doesn't it? I mean, that's what the Tour has actually copied the Giro in recent years to try and make their race a bit more, um, you know, entertaining and yeah, also yeah, unpredictable. Yeah. So I don't see how Sagan gets through all that. So anyway, yeah, I, I think the ball's in their, their court, all those, those gun riders, and even Froome as well. The ball's in their court, you know, can they produce something or... Are they, you know, are they on the slide? So I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens because of what, where they've come from and also this condensed season. It's such an interesting little discussion, Scotty. And even on the flip side of that, let's look at Richie Port. Mm. So traditionally, you'll come into the Australian summer season at the start of the year after a break. So the off-season straight into racing in Australia. Normally, yeah. tour down under, he, he performs pretty well. Similarly, this time around, big layoff straight into fair income racing like some quality races and he's performed well um there's a bit of a correlation there so he's one that has actually benefited from that clearly some guys come in magnificent nick a lot of the jumbo visma guys were obviously in uh, in reasonable form so as bad as it was for others it, it's benefited some but yeah. I, yeah with with sagan it's almost oh, i agree with you I, I think it's almost a bridge too far for the giro to to really have an impact and just take the sprint jersey just because he's peter sagan it's almost mm. say gee the preparation has been interrupted you can't get that form to the point where you, you need to be really slick and fast and and just be clocking up wins you know like yeah. he has in past years so it's almost a write-off not that he will write it off but it is almost a write-off for him yeah and because he uh chose to do the Giro, he misses out on some of the classics too. So it's really interesting for him, you know. He's, the last half of last season, he was a bit down as well. 
it wasn't quite as sharp, I reckon, it's about that time frame. Yeah. To now, you know, is this the beginning of a slide or does he does he bring it up again? Has he got another squirt in him for a while or not? I'm just interested in that. And Valverde, he's an incredible rider. He's been, you know, he won yesterday, for example. You know, yeah. like he didn't win yesterday, but he wins, right, yeah. even at his age. And it is, it'd be interesting to see. I thought he'd finish inside the top 10 uh, on that time trial, but the younger blokes had a bit more juice in the legs, so he, he lost his top 10 position. But um. Yeah, I just reckon balls in their court, boys. You know, Thomas Froome. You know, show us what you got. If Thomas is doing the Giro, if Froome does the Volta, does um, do they bother putting Roglic in the in the Volta again? He won it last year. You know, there might be some um, guys in the Volta who are really keen to get a result there. I reckon mm-hmm. Froome, if he's in it, would definitely be keen to win to try and up his chances for the Tour next year. Yeah, definitely. Like if you do win, it just. You know, it gives all those um, Israel startup guys a lot more motivation to sort of focus in on that tour the next year. You mentioned looking mm. ahead, Scotty. Um, we don't have to look too far for a quality race. We've got the Road World Championships <laughs> this weekend in Italy, um, yeah, 258.2 yeah. kilometres of racing. Yeah, it's about a 24K loop. And they're going around it multiple times, and the women do it as well. Um, make sure you watch the women's race because that'll be probably doubly as entertaining as the men's race, and that'll be good too. There's two, uh, there's like two 1K climbs in it, and they're both at around about nine or ten percent. So yep. they're steep and short, and then you sort of get up over the crest, and then it's sort of like a long gradual descent. So you could easily see, like, it's very much classic sort of parkours and hilliness. And then you could split it over the top and then you could, you know, you could get groups going off the front on that sort of long gradual descent until they hit it again. So, uh, yeah, it could be it could be really good. Vanderpol won't be there. So could it be someone like a Van Aert or an Alaphilippe or Hirschi mm. or Kwiatkowski's in ripping form? Uh, Michael Matthews, there's a mm. few names that bob up. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Quicko might be pretty keen on it because that was a sort of uh, when he won the um, when he won the world championship. The climbs were a little bit longer, but he can certainly get up and over those power climbs. So, yeah, it's in it's in uh, Italy and Imola, you know, where they do the F one racing too. So, um, the circuit that circuit gets used in it apparently. So, yeah, we're going to be going to be great. Your team, um, no, no. Oh, I haven't even looked at the start list. I'll just go. I'll go Van Aert. I reckon um, he might he might be cac- he might be cactus, but he's just in incredible form. So if he gets that good result, then maybe he'll give himself a rest after that for a month or so. Yeah. Looking a little bit further ahead, say the next weekend, uh, we've got the start of the Giro, which we touched on a little bit earlier. Um, so we certainly in this condensed form this year, we don't have to wait too long to see some really quality races and it's just a smorgasbord of racing. That's <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant for us. Horrific for them. <laughs> just just like the tour. You know, it's been a very sort of earnest episode today. There's been no no sledging. There's no unaccountable comments. I would flick over to the right piece of paper because I've got a note here that is dirty day looking in the mirror at the minute. I reckon he, he would have had a good cry when Bernard went home. And by the way, I was just going to say, you know, is Dirty Dave, our mate Eve Brailsford, yeah. you know, looks to me like a bloody dead ringer for bloody Dr. Evil on Austin Powers' film. <laughs> Surely that's Dave as well. Like, I you could, yeah. didn't think he had that, that kind of flair. I think he's got that little <laughs> bit of uh, evil about him. 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to know what happened with um, with Bernal, you know. They said he hurt his back. I don't know if he did. No one really knows. It'd only be Dave and the team and Bernal, really. But it'd be yeah. great to know. He's young. He'll come back and back with a vengeance, I'd imagine. What are you looking forward to next for your own riding, mate? Well, I don't have to look too far for this answer because I am getting <laughs> a new steed, Scotty. I Ooh. have got a new bike on the way and I'm looking forward to it immensely. Just waiting for my bike shop owner to put it all together, put the pieces of the puzzle together and I am like a little kid at Christmas at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, always great to get a new bike because it feels different. It's like... um. Before I did much riding, I was doing a lot of surfing. That's what I did for 20 years, really. It's the number one thing. I still love it, but I don't get to do it as much because I've moved away from the coast. But um, you get on a new bike or a new board and it feels different and that sort of different awareness is amazing. And then I, when I got on my new bike, because I got a new one a few months ago and after about three or four rides, I could feel that feeling fading. You know, my awareness of the difference was going and I was like, no, because the first two times I got on the bike, I was just amazed by how, how different it was, how much better it was, but also how different it was. Yeah. So you've got that to look forward to. Yes, it's um, it's just the day that you you, you always look forward to, and I just can't. I've had my bike, or I had my bike for about eight years, so it's been a little while yeah. coming, and I'm yeah. just walking around the house, much to my wife's chagrin, with a smile on my face the whole time, <laughs> and she couldn't care less. Um, so I'm the that's only boring. one that's excited about it. But um, yeah, so bunch rides are back in Wangaratta, where I'm from, so uh, we're looking forward to to getting out amongst it. Uh, uh, have you been yeah. venturing out, Scotty, uh, down Melbourne town? Yeah, being been getting out, but again, you're only really allowed to ride with one other person and um, that's been tricky for me time-wise to fit in when other people are um, available. So I've just been getting out my own. Yeah, very much looking forward to being able to ride with a bunch from a social point of view, but also the fact that, you know, from a you just push along faster too when there's more people in the bunch. So looking forward to that. Hopefully the racing will start up, but it's probably still a ways off here because we're still – you know, it's a case of first things first. So I think and a whole lot of things have to fall into place before uh, racing would start up. But that would be handy as well from a motivational point of view and a fun point of view. So, yeah, uh, it's a bit of a sort of just, you know, hold the tempo. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Just like we're looking forward to the next time we catch up, mate. It's been great to chat to you again. And we'll catch up in episode six. Good on you. Thanks, Ross. Uh,